This is Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest this week is Zach Sally, um, whose new book, Like a Dog, came out, I guess, just before Christmas? I think so, yeah. Just before Christmas, as well as the uh, Ignatz uh, series, Sammy the Mouse, books one and two. And, I should mention, Recidivist 3. But it doesn't say Recidivist 3 on it, does it? No, no it, it, uh, it just says Recidivist. But it's but a third it's, one. Yeah. And as well, last but not least, your new album, Fear of Song, which came out around the same time as the latest book. Is that everything? No. No, no? did it? Did it? Oh, uh, it didn't? Oh, no. No, no, no. Because it came out, I, <laughs> you know, when you're talking about stuff like this, it's always, since I put it out, you know, it quote unquote came out when I said, hey, it's done. So that was, uh, had a little thing for that on my birthday, which was July 22nd. Oh, so. okay. So not as recent as the other stuff. I got a copy of it with the... Uh, Eric sent me a copy with the Like a Dog, so that's how I got great. my hands on it. Uh, it's great. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Which Thanks. Is, yeah, which was, I was funny saying in the email, like I was never really big into low, but it, it sounds absolutely nothing like it to me. So. Yeah, I don't yeah. think it... I don't think it does either, but... Um, other than, you know, maybe it's it's got some songs on it, you know, not a bunch <laughs> of, uh, no, I mean that, you know, I mean, I, at a certain point I thought maybe I'd, if I made, if I made a record, it would just be a sort of a noise record, but. I got no problem turn, with that either. No, me too, <laughs> me too, it just turns out I'm singing and stuff. The but. first track's very noisy, though, I was, uh. I, I took a re-listen last night, and at first I had my stereo set up to a certain volume, and the bass kicked in. Like, okay, and then I didn't realize how loud I had it set, and had to quickly turn it down because that first track, just the the thump, I guess, in it, it, it really kicks the speakers. Well, good. No, it's good. I like a good. Yeah, that one. Um, you know, it's almost got a, it's almost got a metal riff in it, sort of. Kind of a, a sludgy, a witch. Sissy metal. Sissy metal. I was gonna say more sludgy, kind of, you know, Melvinsy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. You know, so, but we're here to talk comics, aren't we? We'll talk anything. Um, I guess my question for you will start out with, um, because like a dog is in a way a retrospective of your earlier uh, self-published work. Um, do you see a line separating yourself between cartoonist and musician and what's pulled you back to being a cartoonist? Um, do I, I'm sorry, do I see a line between cartoonists and musicians and, and what? For yourself what? as like, I guess an identity or do you kind of see it all as one part? I think I see it all as one thing or at least I try to, you know, um, mm-hmm. Maybe when I was making when I was making the comics that are in like a dog, maybe I I felt that um, I felt that definition a little bit more a little bit more strongly. Um, but the whole time I was in the whole time I was in low, I didn't really feel I didn't really feel like a musician. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. Um, well, you uh, there, there's something that always. I always get wondering about when you do so much touring, do you almost feel like you're in a musical musical assembly line? 
at bad times, yeah. Yeah, it, you know, long tours it, it very much can get to be, uh, like you're kind of going through the motions. Mm-hmm. And it's a, ter- it's a terrible feeling. You know, it, at least for us, it, it was just that, um, you know, you were just up there playing these songs and, and you're just so tired and worn out that, that they didn't really have the, you know, you weren't getting that charge out of playing them and, um, that sucked. Yeah. But the pro, I mean, the, the thing about touring, I think is that you never can tell it can be that way for a whole week and then for no good reason whatsoever you can play a night and it can be absolutely amazing you know out of the blue mm-hmm. so it's you know it's probably analogous to comics in some ways and that it's like there's anybody who thinks any endeavor probably well certainly artistically but maybe even outside of that who thinks it's all going to be you know the skies parting and bells and whistles is barking up the wrong tree you know well, I mean, so much of it's also based on, I guess, audience reaction and audience yeah. response. And I mean, I'm sure playing Vancouver, you've probably experienced the the cold uh, audience here, internationally famous for it, probably. <laughs> I think I remember something like that. <laughs> you know, but at this, even even with that said, you know, at at times when you're when you're in a band, you know. When it got weird for me in low was when we reached a certain level that I just couldn't understand. Not like, not like that we were super famous or or anything, but um, but there was a you know there was a decent amount of people coming to see our shows, and they to a certain extent they knew what to expect, and that's when things started started to get a little bit strange. I mean, when you have a crowd that um. when you have a crowd that actively sort of hates you mm-hmm. that can be a really great show <laughs> you know because yeah. you, you can you got something to you got something poking you yeah. you know to to make you to that get you pissed off or or uh just kind of goads you into action you know um, I seem to remember reading stuff like that and uh, Rollins get in the van which is one of my favorite books about touring that I've I gotta go back and read it again but I love that book and I and I'm not even like a huge a huge black flag guy but no. um I actually prefer the early flag without Rollins yeah so a lot of people do <laughs> <laughs> um and it, it's funny actually because I'm reading your notes in the back of like a dog and it reminded me of that book um, because I mean you're describing the room you lived in in the back of a garage where you had to like carefully plan out where everything was oh it is like Rollins yeah it reminded me of like in the shed there's nothing (laughs) around but the lights are out it's just me in here just me and my brain (laughs) <laughs> well, not quite to the point where you're. Uh, what was it? He, he the the tirade about finding a bug and putting it in a jar and watching it die. 
Oh. Or something about that. And Rollins. Yeah, is, yeah. You know, um, probably going to my journals at the time, and there'd be something. Yeah, but it was, you know, I loved that little spot. It was, it was, it was really great. Um. Like, well, one other thing, just kind of going back a second to what you're talking about, the they get a certain level. It sounds like you're talking like there's a kind of disconnect between audience or a disconnect of par- participation, maybe. Um, with comics? No, with uh, you're saying you've reached a certain point with Low, where you weren't. Oh, I did. You know, I did get to that point with Low. Yeah. And I think that was it. You know, I we were playing places, and I just there would be no. We were just up on stage, and people were there to hear these songs and watch this band, and and it it just it started to feel a little bit inhuman. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd just kind of get up there and do our thing, and folks would just come and watch us do our thing, and and that was that. And I think I realized it on the Radiohead tour when we were opening for Radiohead at the most beautiful, you know, these incredibly beautiful venues in Europe. And I would just watch, you know, (laughs) or just people watch people watching Radiohead and just kind of be angry at myself. Like, why am I not enjoying this? And it, you know, in retrospect, it's just not... That's just not what I what I get a charge out of, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I get a charge out of being in the same room with a bunch of people, and, and you know, it's a difference. It, it just is a difference for me between a, a group of people and, and, a, and a crowd. And uh, I guess I like a group of people, you know? Yeah. More intimate life. Yeah, or just it's something I can I can wrap my head around, you know. Um, the crowd that I don't know, it's, I, you know, there were great shows and they were super nice to us and everything, but it had this feeling of you know, like watching TV for me. Mm-hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with TV, but but um, it's expensive TV. Or just like if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna watch TV, I'm gonna watch. <laughs> I think you know that's not what I'm going. That's not yeah. the experience I'm I'm going for. You yeah. know to you know I want I want the experience of these people wrestling with these things in this in this space and I don't know. Well, let me change topics completely and okay. comics. You don't have... Do you have visual art training at all? No. I didn't think so. Nope. Um, Just by um, kind of gauging your life experience and... Oh, I thought you were going to say just because of looking at my artwork. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, because trust me, I've seen folks with art school experience and it has done them no service. Uh, No. Um... What I'm curious about is kind of when, what was the transformative moments to decide, like, first, what sucked you into comics, and then what was the decision to make comics? 
I mean, I kind of get into it in the back of in the back of like a dog, but it, I, you know, what I was saying earlier that I never really felt like a musician. Um, it was just because of something that I did it because because I because I loved it, you know, and thought it was really great. Uh, and I just sort of fell into being a musician. Um, but comics was comics was always. Um, Everything. Just number one. I, I mean, I always wanted to be a cartoonist. Um, when I was a kid, I was a superhero guy, and you know, when I was a teenager, I kind of grew out of superheroes a little bit, and then, you know, by that time, I was making making mini comics, and it just um, yeah, all I ever wanted to be was a cartoonist. So you. Um, John Porcelino, someone you cite a lot, thanking him, was he kind of a formative influence in making mini comics? You know, not really. Um, and it's funny because he—I know he talks about this too. He talks about this experience he had where he thought he he started making his own minis, going to you know his dad's place, his dad work, and using the copy machine, and then. You know, he met someone from the same area who had also done the same thing, and it was this revelation of like, oh, people people are doing this all over the country. People are doing this all over the world. You know, and um, you know, everybody kind of thought they had that <laughs> had that idea all by themselves. You know, like, oh, I can make a little book. That's amazing. You know, um, but you know, by the time I was By the time I was in my, you know, late teens, early 20s, I had sort of started to be, the stuff that was really turning my crank was linked to the music world. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of difference between, people who did music were also probably doing zines, or they were in the zines that you were reading about, or there was a connected, that whole thing was kind of connected. Um in a sort of more organic way than than maybe it is now. Um, and and when I first met John, I met him through a, a friend of ours named Mr. Mike, and they had been trading zines. And when I first saw King Cat, um, I hated it, and I thought <laughs> I, didn't, I, just, I didn't like it at all. I just I I couldn't make sense of it. Um, you know, that that sort of era when I discovered it, yeah, I guess it was oh, fuck. I guess it was the grunge era, but uh, you know things were pretty raw and pretty uh, angry. <laughs> and uh, John's John's stuff was so it was coming from such a completely different place than anything. I had ever seen before, you know, I mean, the comics that were, at that time, it was, you know, there was 8-Ball, Hate, you know, all this stuff that was either, you know, kind of, it wasn't restrained, let's just put it that way, and John's stuff was so restrained, I just didn't, I just didn't get it, Um, and the more, you know, but we, 
we kind of still became friends and uh you know i'd say john's stuff has inspired me didn't inspire me initially but as time has gone on it just i mean i think he's i think he's one of the greatest cartoonists in the world and i think mm-hmm. what he's done with king cat and just my friendship with the guy inspires me on a, on a daily basis you know i i i do love john's work um and uh he, I, yeah, he's he's very important right now, especially giving such a unique viewpoint within his, within comics, and expressing a really interesting identity. Um, one thing that I found really interesting about a lot of your work is it comes out in an era where everything is kind of seeped in autobio, but it's not. It doesn't feel autobio to me at all. So there's some stuff that feels representational, but. I feel like you're kind of your comics kind of looking at kind of working within another box. I'm sorry, say again. I feel like your your work, um, especially in the in the collection, the two recidivists, um, one and two, um, your work is not like a lot of the of your contemporaries at the time. Huh? Where, um, like I was saying, a lot of folks, it feels like a lot more direct autobio work was coming out where yours I mean there are certain aspects that have definite representational qualities but I, I found it really interesting where it was just more I don't want to say abstract but it is a kind of abstract component to the stories mm-hmm. does that make sense I think so yeah I mean I, I probably just couldn't bring myself to do do straight autobio. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it is, but there, there's there's part of me that that kind of thought I can't I can't just make this about me, you know. Or or if I am making about me, I have to find some other way to come at it because I just it, there's something about just saying this is this is me and this is what I did is too uncomfortable for me to for me to handle or or something like that you know mm-hmm. um, and I think most of the stuff I was I was doing was just probably trying to trying to explain some stuff to myself that I didn't know already or thought I knew but didn't you know, yeah I'm not gonna be able to finish that sentence does that in any way answer your question kind of <laughs> Rock that shit again. You, uh, shit, where am I? So, oh shit. Right through the pain, pain, pain. Oh shit. Such a thing as an ass cramp. Right through the plug. Oh fuck. Fuck. (laughs) Thinking about apples and pears. Wow, fuck. Oh. Fuck it. Fuck. 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 Ah, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck, I'm sorry. Mouse. Oh, fuck. And the Pope. I the wrong fucking line. Fuck. Oh, fuck. New York subway comedian.
Shit. <coughs> and I'm fuck. Fucking <laughs> mess. We should listen to it. Shit. Motherfucker. No. No. Oh, shit. That was it. Fuck. 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 Shit. But I'm in. Sucker. No. Back up. Fuck. Fuck. Just. Yes. Oh, no. I'm gonna get that. Punch in the fucking. So, uh, how. Oh, and I'll moan yeah, So I wear a fucking mud Shit I fucked We'll arch us down the fucking stairs Fuck Cause Oh fuck, fuck. Oh fuck That's oh, Sorry That's weak That oh. talk is yeah, cheap oh, it's just oh, fucking oh yeah Oh my god So long Oh my god I'm out Ha ha okay. Fine, fuck. Oh, 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 boy. oh boy. Yeah. Shit. Oh, I fucked that up. That's all. Ha. I came in early ah, there too. Oh, shit. Fuck. Now it's um off. I'm still fucking that up. I don't know. Fuck. Let's clear. Oh shit, that's a wrong. Okay. Oh, right. And, oh, fuck. Oh, boy. Fuck. <laughs> God. Oh, fuck. It's, oh, oh, fuck. No, no, no. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, fuck. One story that really, probably my favorite in the book was the one about uh, Dostoevsky. Yeah. Um, which feels like there's probably some components in there that kind of represent where you were in life. Because, I mean, it seems, that one seems especially quite a commitment of follow through. Yeah, I. That was a really like, important and and great strip to for me to have done at the time. Um, I think the question you just asked, the question you asked before it, I, I think I was always trying to find a way to to rake myself over the coals and sort of uh, you know <laughs> ask myself why I was being you know such a jackass and uh, with the Dostoevsky thing it was really just the more I started reading about this this guy in this situation which did I could find some analogs to my own life at the time. Maybe we should let people know what the situation was, too. Okay, yeah. Uh, basically, Dostoevsky, when he was 26, 27 years old, he was accused of um, writing subversive documents, writing and distributing, being part of a group that wrote and distributed subversive documents that were um, anti-Tsarist, which the Tsars were running stuff at the time. And, uh, he was taken and and put in solitary confinement for seven months or something like that, and um, you know, basically, they wanted him to admit his guilt.
guilt in this, and, and he wouldn't do it. So he sat in, sol- in solitary for for seven months, and then they told everyone who was involved with the quote-unquote plot that they were going to be um, executed, and they brought them to a square that had uh, like a scaffold for, for the men who were going to be executed. Um, and basically they had people who were there to watch them die, they had a firing squad, and... Um, as the first three men were about to be shot, um, a horse rode up and pardoned everybody and sent them all to Siberia. So it was this sort of terrible, horrible, not joke, but they were being uh, bizarre, or the, was using it as an opportunity to sort of use them, set, use them as an example mm-hmm. for other people. And then, so then the guy went from solitary to... Um, which, God, it's been hard so labor. long since I've... Say again? Hard labor? Yeah, hard labor in Siberia. Thank you. <laughs> um, for another five or six years. Um, before he... And then he uh, returned to yeah, St. Petersburg, and, and then his writing career sort of began in earnest. Um, so, yeah, even, like, telling that story... <laughs> um. You know, at the time I worked on it, I was living alone, uh, didn't have many friends trying to work on comics. So, I, there, you know, finding this thing about this guy who was in solitary confinement, there's there's analogs there, mm-hmm. but there's no way that you can sit in your little one-room apartment. The sentiments that he was expressing and the thing he was going through... I don't know what kind of person you would have to be to say like, well, I'm somehow equating the fact that I'm sitting in this, in this apartment chewing my guts out to the fact that this guy was in solitary confinement for seven months. You know? I mean, you, uh, you can't equate those two things. Say like, well, you know, like, I'm doing so poorly. I don't know. It just kind of puts whatever personal stuff you have going on into into a context I, and it just enabled me to kind of really dig into this guy's story and I don't know it was really uh, and I, you know I love his books too but it was kind of inspiring to work on that for me and it was an opportunity for me to get out of my own head a little bit somewhere I seem to remember in your, I guess, endnotes, uh, a mention of agoraphobia. Is that something you've dealt with before? Or had? I, I guess. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm a lot more more uh, mentally healthy than I've ever been in my life. But, you know, you know as a young man, I was, I was a mess. Seems a lot of young men are, but um, you know, I kind of credit being in the band with kind of forcing me to go out and deal with the world. Mm-hmm. My natural urge is to just sit in a room by myself and chew my guts out. So, yeah, you know, um, and I think that's kind of a cartoonist disease. It is. You know, um, I'm teaching comics now and I think that's the most 
it's the greatest thing about comics and it's also the scariest thing about comics in that and the biggest difference between comics and music in that you're basically putting yourself in this situation where there's no input from anybody that's and one go ahead go ahead Sorry. I was going to say that's one of the things I find really fascinating in uh, Chris Ware's sketch books I don't know if you've been reading them oh yeah yeah and it's basically like long just his process of what he's going through in this isolation and how it kind of drives him crazy in a way yeah you know this like depression and all these other factors but I mean he's still producing this immaculate incredible work but it's comes at a cost almost yeah, I think it, and I think you'd, you'd be hard pressed to find a cartoonist who didn't. I mean, I'm sure you've talked to hundreds of them now. Mm. You know, it's like that's the glory of comics, <laughs> and I think it. You know, I mean, it takes a really specific kind of person to, if you know, if you want to. I wish somebody that's not me would write some kind of psychological paper on it. But I mean, what kind of person wants to sit? by themselves in a room and you know kind of create their own world like what kind of person is is driven to do that and what kind of person is driven to do that when the quote unquote rewards of comics are so dismal <laughs> sorry don't even, get me, don't even get me started man it's, yeah, I mean, exactly. You it's know, when the, the payoff is so little, like, why the fuck would you put yourself through this? And people do, you know. Yeah. Chris Ware is, you know, the guy's like an atom bomb. And uh, it's obvious that he puts himself through that constantly. And it, it's nothing yeah. new. And that that's the kind of scary, sad thing. I don't know, like, I'm probably sounding like a doomsayer on cartoonists right now, but I mean, one person you to talk about in your book is Wally Wood, who kind of, you know, that kind of sums it all up in a persona. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're all, you know, Jack Cole, it's, yeah. it's a weird thing to, and I think you'll find, you know, I, I think the more... the more a cartoonist kind of controls that or needs to you know I mean you look at Jack Cole and he was during an era where nobody would you know where it was complete assembly line stuff he wouldn't allow anybody to touch his work you know yeah. he he wrote it he drew it he lettered it and he delivered this finished product you know and that's proto alt cartoonist right there um, he's probably one you know, of there's some definite there's some definite uh pitfalls to this quote-unquote profession, you know? I think I'm having... I don't a... think mental illness or alcoholism or you know, those are right at the top. Yeah. Well, it's... It, I mean, alcoholism, that's something that you kind of discuss in different parts of your thing. And I'm wondering, one person who you've thanked ex a couple of times, I noticed, is Kim Deitch. Yeah. Um, you know, who who himself has suffered from alcoholism and um, it's not something he like broadcasts big like I was, was a drunk but I mean we discussed it when he was on the show um, and like 
was that a factor for you in stopping drinking, kind of talking with Deitch, or? Um, you know, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think, uh, I think that was, that was kind of instructive, you know, um, What kind of role has Kim played for you? <laughs> She's been awesome. <laughs> you know, I, I you know I, Kim has been. Um, he's just been so uh, such a like supportive guy in in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that I very first met him when I was crashing on a floor in New York for a while. And I, I just walked past some fancy ass art gallery, and there was a Robert Williams opening, and all these like you know fancy people were hanging out, and I just waltzed in, and and all of a sudden I saw Kim Deitch, you know, and I was like, holy shit, it's Kim Deitch, you know, and I <laughs> walked up and really, you know, really sheepishly, and you know, kind of like, hey, uh, you know, and actually he was talking to someone, so his wife Pam was like, uh, Kim. You know, there's this nerd freaking out. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he was he was really nice, and I sent him the second issue of Recidivist, and he was, again, with the comics, you know, in the sort of hermetically sealed world. And the reason cartoonists turn into such nutcases, you know, is because you don't want to admit it, but you spent, you know, you're sweating blood for this thing, and you want to hear... You just want to hear something, you know. Yeah. You want to hear from somebody. Like, did you get it? Did you not get it? Um, but Kim ended up writing me this, you know, this really great critique. Um, you know, I like this. I didn't like that. It, this is the good part. This is the bad part. And it was, uh, you know, he didn't he didn't sugarcoat it at all. But he didn't. Um, in slamming unnecessarily and I don't know it was just really really great and and you know when I first met him I was also in the band so we'd be rolling through New York every six months or so and we just kind of started um grabbing lunch whenever I was in town and I don't know just the guy's work ethic yeah is astounding um it really <laughs> the is guy's life, the guy's life experience is astounding you know he's he's the real deal the the thing I really love about Kim's work is that he seems like he's at the top of his game right now. Mm-hmm. Like cartooningly speaking, like he he really I don't even know if there is a mold of you know you make your best work when you're young in comics, but he definitely shatters that if it does exist. You know. Yeah, it's really it's really heartening. You know, just that um. And he has that one quote that I have taped to the inside of my skull. I think it was in the comics journal ages ago, but it's something like, for the first 10 years I was doing comics, I thought they were driving me crazy. And the second 10 years I was doing comics, I think they were the only thing keeping me sane. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, yeah, he's, and he's one of those guys too who has all these tips that he that he that he's you know more than willing to share about how to keep yourself from uh, how to keep yourself from losing your mind while mm-hmm. you're doing this you know how because you know you get that drawing that you can't 
seem to make any sense of. And if you just sit there and stare at it, you know, you're going to start beating your head against the wall until it's, you know, he's just got all these really practical tips and pieces of advice into how, how not to, how to get yourself out of your head a little bit. He's a comics guru. He is, man. And, um, you know, actually today, I my whole day today was spent moving all the paper I got for the next Lamano project, which is uh, I think I can announce on your show that it's it's a portfolio of of uh, Kim's storyboard pages. Oh, amazing! Yeah, you don't know the half of it. <laughs> That's yeah. I mean, I look through. He came up to Vancouver uh, last summer. And I like mm-hmm. look through all these original artwork pages. It's just amazing. Just you, looking. Are you talking about the eleven by seventeen pencil pages? No, it was just um, it was just the stuff he had for sale. But just that in itself, like I don't think it was super special work. Um, yep. Uh, but just going through that, like I picked up a couple of things, and just like he he really, it's interesting because is I mean it's a process for him where you work too and then you get to this final piece and that final piece is you know quite something so how many pat um like what's the portfolio going to be like but it's it's really exciting because i think i think not a lot of like you were just talking about kim's kim's process is kind of kind of uh it's pretty intense but he does these Again, this is from when I used to go over to his his place, and I would, you know, ask him what 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 he's working on, and he would pull out these sheets of paper that are these. Um, he does them all on eleven by seventeen pieces of copy paper, and mm-hmm. it's where he it's where he works out the very basics of his story. Um, in pencil, there's no they're not inked, but they're just his like big story pages, and from those, um, he does a second round. And from that, he hones it even more, and that's what he does pencils on. So this is like his big story ideas, and he he has a bunch of them for every major thing he's ever done. Um, so, um, and it's like very, very. It seems like people really haven't haven't seen them, um, but they're just incredibly beautiful. So. Um, yeah, I'm going to do a portfolio. Uh, it's probably going to come in two editions. One, one. I think I'll do 30 or 35 plates um, on really nice paper and you know in a really cool thing. And then I'm doing a deluxe edition, which is going to have 45 plates on this incredibly thick paper, and it's going to have this crazy packaging. But um, yeah, it's you know, it's I'm I'm really excited hearing this because I mean it's. I like seeing folks' work kind of being treated like objects of art, and I think that's that's a big thing you need to see more in comics is like these processes being respected and not just tossed away. Yeah, um, I'm sorry, I only heard about half of that. <laughs> I say it, it's nice to see it treated like uh, pieces of art, um, and kind of the the processes being respected. And yeah. Um... That's gotten weird too, though. <laughs> I think that's always been the weird thing with Lamano is I. Um, that's why these things are so great because 
I think they work in a lot of different ways because if you're a huge fan of Kim's and you want to see his, you know, you want to see his process, you can, you can view them as that, but they're also these, they're not comics breakdowns at all. Um, if that makes any sense, they can each also be taken as if you just look at them as a drawing on a piece of paper, they're also amazing, which is why I'm presenting them in, you know, separate sheets. So they'll, each one will be frameable should you choose to do that. So if you, if you just think they're beautiful, as pieces of art, you can look at them that way. Um, if you want to look at it as a sort of process book for, you know, Kim's major stories, you can look at them that way as well. Um, yeah, it's it's really it's really exciting. And if if I can get my shit together, it's my my plan is to get that and uh, Sammy Three done for Mocha. So um, nice.
let's let's talk about Sammy. Okay. It's uh, it feels completely different than the rest of your work. Yep. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> We're agreed. Um, I mean, it feels a lot more personal to me. Does it? Yeah. Yeah. It um feels awfully personal to me too. I'm kind of. Fr- uh, sorry, go ahead. I say I'm kind of frustrated with myself because I couldn't find my copy of number two in order to read for today. I went through my whole apartment and it's lost in a stack uh, somewhere. So I only read number one in preparation. But still, it yeah, it feels personal. It feels like, especially after reading a lot of the notes in the like a dog, where it kind of this feels like an actualization of what you've been going through? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... You know, all, when you were talking earlier about the autobio and, and a lot of the stories in in, in Recidivist and, and Like a Dog, I don't know... I don't know exactly what those are. You know, these are, they aren't... They aren't narratives necessarily and... I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what they are. Um, and I think for a long time for me, maybe maybe telling a story or trying to tell a story or trying to be entertaining was... Um, I don't want to say like a dirty... a dirty thing that I didn't want to do, but... Um, You know, I thought that that comics maybe should should do some other things than just telling stories. You know, mm-hmm. and um, and this is what I did get from hanging out with Kim. You know, just seeing how incredibly charged up that guy gets, just telling his telling his stories. You know, yeah. um, and how kind of important that is in the larger scheme of things yeah I don't know you know Sammy is just I, I can finally I got this story and I got the whole thing and it just it turns my crank to no end um to be able to tell it you know it um it, it bums me out that I don't have more time <laughs> to spend on telling it, yeah. but uh, um, yeah, you know, I still I, I think about the things I get to draw two issues from now, and I just it, you know makes me want to makes me want to throw up in a bucket. Um, <laughs> I just <laughs> I mean, I just can't wait to 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 get to this stuff. Um, How how is the format working with the the Ignatz uh, Coconino? Um, is th- um, different for you? I mean, like Which, the lengthwise, you know, not the page size, but the the having like a, a regimented. This each one is like a set length. Um, you know, I've been thinking about that recently, and I I it's. 
But I've had to think of a lot of things about comics recently since I started teaching them. You know, I, I, you know, with the story and each one of these things coming out, I really feel like I want to give. I don't want to do one of those boring comics. You know, I want to with each issue have some some real meat to it. You know, and have it be this experience that doesn't take, you know, thirty seconds to read, and to give to give x amount of the story in each in each issue and. You know, I mean, even at the end of each one, there's kind of a cliffhanger. Um, it is weird in that way. It's kind of a holdover from the periodical of nature of comic books, you know, yeah. um, which I love. I love comic books, but it is all one story. Um, and, you know, it's it would be completely retarded for someone writing a book to be like, okay, well, each chapter is going to be 50 pages. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. That's this. But, you know, uh, the novel used to be a junk, used to be part of junk culture, too. I mean, all those Charles Dickens books, you know, all those were written in, not periodical, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, they were in uh, newspaper, or in, like weekly magazines, weren't they? Exactly. Yeah, they yeah. appeared in. Um, in ch- what's the word we're looking for here? It, it yeah, is serialized. Gonna, yeah, they were serialized. You know, all those were, and they, you know, you read those, and they all come together to make this this whole. So, does it give you more of a structure to work with in that case? Then, yeah, it does. I I like that part of it. Um, I love the Ignatz line. I mean, I I wish the experiment would have gone a little bit that you know the original idea for the experiment that uh that Igor had for you know this this international series that would appear in all these different languages from all this from this international crew of artists mm-hmm. that kind of fell apart sort of quickly is it just in english and french and italian or no the french dropped out ages ago <sighs> they always so give of, up I know, man, those French. Um, but right now, it's as far as I know, it's just just Italian and um, and English. So, so were you... sorry, go ahead. No, you, no, you go. You finishing your thought? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's a beautiful format. I think it's gorgeous. I love. And part of the reason I, I asked in the first place was when I finished Recidivist, I thought I wanted to do. I had this Sammy the Mouse story and I wanted to do it and I thought I was going to do it myself and I wanted it in two colors. Um, and then the, I started seeing the Ignatz books and I was like, well, this is exactly what I had pictured doing myself. Um, mm-hmm. But this is, you know, sort of more elegant. Um, and I'd be, get, you know, get to be in the company of, of all these amazing cartoonists. It's... It is really you know, it's it's an understated, really understated body of work in the Ignats. I mean, there's a Matadi comic. Oh my God, that thing! It's that insane. thing is, I don't that that book. Yeah, that single issue is unbelievable. There's some just amazing work that's been done. You know, Anders Nilsson's issue that he did was one of the most amazing comics I've seen in ages there's a lot of unrepresented stuff too there's this Marco Corona he did the book called Reflections 
I don't understand why people aren't losing their shit about that. It was, it was fantastic, you know? I mean, most of the stuff that's come out by the Ignatz line, um, I think is, is pretty, pretty top, top flight stuff. I mean, yeah. you know, well, Kevin Huizenga is, you know, a guy, uh, well, that's interesting. Is is I haven't really seen a miss yet. Yeah, you know, there was one that I didn't like so much as much, but it wasn't the you know that was just kind of personal taste. Yeah. You know, like I just think this isn't my thing. It wasn't like ah, this is garbage. It was just like, well, I think this isn't my thing. Um, but yeah, you know, the only the only downside of it is that I this the elegant nature of it. You know, it's still a 32-page comic for eight bucks. Yeah. So I don't think the... Anybody who's going to pick one up is involved in the world of comics. You know, there's not going to be your... uh, um, You're not going to see... Somebody who just has a passing interest in comics... I know. Is gonna is gonna pick one up and say, "Hey, what's this all about?" You know, it's it's people who who love comics and and search them out and um, yeah, the cat. That's what I'm saying. The casual reader isn't isn't. Uh, it's for someone who. Upon it's for someone who already knows who Kevin Heisenk is, basically. Yeah. 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 Um, Which is true, and I'm you know it's it's quite unfortunate, but. It's the, the yeah, reality you know, of but six and one half dozen the other, you know. Um, it means they're not going to be, you know. A one part is like too bad; more people aren't getting into it. Quite unfortunate, um, but another part, and, and this probably wouldn't happen anyways. But there's, you don't have to worry about compromise. Yeah. Um, you know, no compromise in quality. I guess what I'm saying. Yeah, not at all. So, but I got us. This is you didn't ask. But I guess I'm drinking coffee, so I'll just keep talking. Go ahead. And <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, I I love the Ignatz line. I'm 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 totally honored to be a part of it. Part of me misses, and this speaks to John P. a little bit. Part of me misses comic books. Mm-hmm. You know, like it was just cheap ass thing. It's got a letter column. You know, like those old issues of Hate or Eight Ball. That was I love them. Yeah, they're you know talk about underappreciated cartoonists. You know, like neat stuff. Hate those had this feeling of like you know, like I was saying about the Radiohead thing. It wasn't just the comics. It's like you were in this thing with this with this person. You know, you. It wasn't some schmuck cranking shit out. I mean, you know. You know who Pete Bag was? You said, um, yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's so much more. And it's funny because they sold a lot more then. Um, yeah. But there's so much more. Like, if you sent a mini-comic to Pete Bag, he would probably send you a letter back thanking you and telling you what you thought about it. Yeah. Um, where with this... Yeah, or he'd, or he'd write about it in the, you know, in the letters pages, which were hilarious. Mm-hmm. You know, all these total wing nuts from all over the place. Like in that wonderful uh, schizo number two, with all the letters oh. from the 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, that was. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was good. Robert Crumb telling uh, Ivan Brunetti to take uh, antidepressants. Yeah. Oh think... my God! And uh, who was it? Woodring being frighteningly uh, prescient. Or Woodring wrote something like, "Here's what's going to happen. This is you're going to make it through this, and you're going to come out the other side like this beautiful humanist, elegant cartoonist." like damn you got it it's pretty much true you know yeah. i mean i don't i don't think ivan is you know walking around being the <laughs> being a total ray of sunshine to <laughs> everyone he meets but you know i mean his his work is is really you know uh he's just an amazing cartoon you know his work is just completely different Mm-hmm. Than what it was during those days. Well, I mean, he he made a conscious decision to to switch gears and to do completely different style. Um, yeah, you know, and he's not that same cartoonist anymore. He's he hasn't rejected his past work, which I think is really important. It's something you've done too. Um, is where you may not be making the same work anymore, and this may not be the strongest work, but it's still who I am. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I get, that's the whole thing that like a dog is about, I guess. But you know, that that's really important. You know, like I don't, I don't think Ivan could be the cartoonist that he is now without having done that stuff. No, it just, you know, it's cheaper than therapy, I guess. He's got that um, too. A therapist. Yeah. What's that? He he's got a therapist too. Great. <laughs> um, she actually wrote the introduction for uh, his collection. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, oh, man. So how far do you see Sammy going? Because we've mentioned uh, you have more in mind. You have three coming out, hopefully for Mocha. Well, it's one big story, you know. Mm. I mean, I I I know the when I pitched it, you know, I knew the beginning and the middle and the end. Um, it's, it's one long story. So, you know, probably 10 issues, um, 10 or 12, I'd say. Wow. Um, you know, and yeah, it, uh, when I first thought about it, you know, thinking, thinking, uh, oh, there's no way I'll go a year without putting an issue out. But uh, that's happened already. So, I don't know. I just gotta just gotta keep <laughs> keep trying to do it. Keep keeping yeah. on. Well, yeah. I, I'm curious to see, like, that's a lot, a lot of comics. And so I guess we're just seeing the first taste of what's to come. Yeah, I think so. You know, and I'm already, you know, going through my crisis of faith with every single issue. I mean, I think you said you just looked at issue one, and as I'm finishing issue three, I had to look back at issue one, and, uh, yeah, that's a cocksucker about comics, too, is just, 
you know, I'm already looking at issue one and seeing things I'm going to have to redraw when it's all done. You know? Yeah. Again, the glory of comics because I'm drawing all this stuff, but, you know, when you finish your novel, you don't have to go back and change the letter forms in the first sentence. It was, uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, it reminds you of, like, Chester Brown, I think, when he collected Louis Riel, he had to redraw a lot of heads from the beginning. Yeah, because you just get better yeah. at drawing these things, and it makes the stuff... I remember noticing that in uh, Suck Rubber Baby and just all these, like, major works outside of... I think, you know, people like Chris Ware, I think they set, they set out to do a style that they know they can be consistent with mm-hmm. um, which I think I tried to do too but you can't you can't uh, you can't keep yourself from getting getting better and more comfortable at drawing certain things so you know I'm already I'm already cursing myself for <laughs> stuff in issue number one and you know as I'm drawing number three it's like I'm gonna have to go back and draw that <laughs> You may reach a certain point where you're like, you know what? It's not going to change. What's that? You may reach a certain point where you go so far into the story, you're like, I don't think I'm going to change that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't, I'm already worried that, you know, that at the end of this story, I'm just, I'm worried that this is all I'm ever going to want to draw, you know, from now until, until the day I die. Just, stories about these alcoholic mice yeah yeah I just you know I already am kind of in love with all of them and uh and you know that that, that's fine I mean there are folks who find their characters and they don't leave them Gary Panther is still doing Jimbo stories it's true you know, to this day, for for a character that started out as a complete joke, you know, Jimbo and Purgatory is one of the most beautiful comics that come out in the last ten years. Pretty astounding. Yeah. So. Gary Panter. Oh. <laughs> More could be said, but I think we've reached our uh, our airplay time limit. Okie doke. So, thank you so much, Zach. That was actually that was yeah. really great. It uh, gets me enthused. I like having Good. conversations like that. Like, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I really, uh, I really enjoy your show. <laughs>